0: I just want to note that Pastor Sarah got to preach on, like, the fun parables, like the mustard seed. I got the parable of the shrewd manager, which Capon calls the hardest of the parables. Next week, Pastor Sarah's sermon is going to be about the lordship of Jesus. Spoiler alert, Jesus is Lord. And this week, I got apocalypse and persecution. I'm hoping Advent's a little nicer to me. Hebrew Christians who lived in Jerusalem faced persecution and hardship, the very things Jesus is pointing to in our gospel lesson this morning. And that has been going on since the beginning of the church's existence. Throughout Paul's letters, he asks the Gentile Christians, Christians who lived outside of Jerusalem, to pray for and to support their siblings in Christ living in Jerusalem. It can be difficult for Christians in the United States to imagine persecution and trials because of our faith. The very things that Debbie read for us from our scripture lesson. It's hard to imagine being dragged before a tribunal or harassed because of our faith in Jesus Christ. In the early 1990s, the New York Times published a magazine article highlighting the struggles of Christians in Egypt who were tortured for the very same declaration that we will make next week, in the declaration, frankly, that we make every week, that Jesus is Lord over all creation. More recently, a Washington Post article two years ago told the story of a 61-year-old man arrested by the FSB in Piskov, Russia. The man was arrested for living a life committed to nonviolence, refusing military service, not voting, and finally viewing God as the only true leader. This 61-year-old man's crimes were considered extremist activities, which got me thinking. My father is 63 years old, and getting a new book from Amazon is about as extreme as he gets. But this extremist living in Russia, this 61-year-old Christian, was sentenced to six and a half years in prison. Six and a half years in prison for declaring what we will declare boldly next Sunday. I've always wondered, would I have the faith and trust in God necessary if I was in that man's situation? I mean, I seem tough and courageous, I know, but I worry that my courage would fail and fall given torturous conditions that many Christians around the world face. According to the Cato Institute, last year, roughly 5,600 Christians were murdered, more than 6,000 were detained or in prison, and another 4,000 were kidnapped in their workplace, in addition to more than 5,000 churches and other religious facilities being destroyed. Persecution, disenfranchisement, arrest, torture, and even death is what Christians around the world have experienced since the time of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to them, the nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes, and in various places, famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, you will be arrested and they will persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will be your opportunity to testify. You will be betrayed by even your parents and brothers, by relatives and family and friends, and some will be put to death. You will be hated because of my name. With these words, Jesus is preparing his disciples for a time of testing, a time when the evil of our world will align against them personally, and as his followers, and as people of God, he's preparing us today. Our gospel lesson is not a feel-good metaphor or what-if proposition. Jesus promises his disciples that the days of darkness are ahead of them. Jesus tells his disciples that following him will not be easy. And for us, Christians living in the suburbs, within the safe confines of a mainline denomination, we forget that Jesus tells his disciples that they will have to carry a cross to follow him. Discipleship, Jesus tells his followers, comes with a cost. Evil, according to Jesus, is coming our way. Evil at the hands of those who raise themselves above God with an agenda that runs contrary to the lordship of Christ and the kingdom of God. At the hands of people like Herod who built the temple that the disciples were distracted by when they walked in to hear Jesus teach. Jesus said that would tumble down. The days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. Apocalyptic or end-of-the-world talk within the church makes most of us in the mainline squirm in our pews. But the apocalyptic ideas of the New Testament make more sense for us today, frankly, than for the generations before World War II, when the world faced down the cosmic battle between good and evil. When people like Corrie ten bloom a Dutch Christian, successfully hid Jews in her tiny home before the Nazis came for her and her entire family. Bloom, along with her family, were sent to Nazi camps for their actions, for their willingness to speak a word of hope in the face of evil, for speaking the words that Christ gave them. Reverend Fleming Rutledge wrote, Evil is more than the sum of individual misdeeds. Evil has a life of its own. It's not enough to stand aside from it. If it is not actively resisted, it sweeps all before it. Part of a Christian's calling is to resist evil, and in doing so, endure till the end. The Apostle Paul detailed what creation faces. He wrote, For our struggle is not against enemies of blood or flesh, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of their darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And Jesus tells us that he will give us the words that we need when these trials and these tribulations arrive. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God's word made flesh is speaking a word of hope, courage, and even grace to us in times of suffering. The rise of Nazi Germany brought apocalyptic theology back into the church, reminding us that no matter how hard we try to hide, evil is going to find us. As, human, as humanity has proven over and over again, we will, given the opportunity, put our trust in the King Herods of the world over the grace of God. The rise of Christian nationalism in the United States, predominantly within white churches, proves Paul, Fleming, and more importantly, Jesus's point, point. And we cannot ignore this rise, no matter how far it seems from the safe confines of Arlington, Virginia. To be clear, The misguided grievances of Christian nationalists is not persecution. Being told that you cannot force children to pray in schools or that a nation's identity is more than religious propaganda and bad theology mixed together is not religious persecution. For the past two Wednesday evenings, a group from Mount Olivet has been immersing themselves in the work of Christian mystic and preacher Howard Thurman. This past Wednesday evening Thurman had a word to speak to us, a word from God. He wrote, sometimes we say that our personal load is too heavy, that it is all we can do to look at ourselves with all that entails. But Even as we express such ideas, we are reminded of a wide variety of events that we are never ourselves alone. We are not an island. We do not live alone. Turning a blind eye or assuming it will not affect us is the same as actively enabling Christian nationalism to rise within the church in the United States. Christian nationalism attempts to use Jesus as cover for its political agenda, using the message of Jesus Christ for political propaganda and the church as the handmaiden and cheerleader of the state. Christian nationalism attempts to take us to use Jesus as cover, cover for its political agenda, and use the message of Christ for political propaganda. This is not a red or blue state issue. Christian nationalism is a theological heresy that the church must address. There will be trials and tribulations, and it will seem like the world around us is falling apart. And there might be a time when we are brought before the authorities to account for our own extremist activities. Feeding the hungry, being with the sick and the dying, proclaiming Jesus' lordship. But make no mistake, telling the story of Jesus Christ talking about the grace of God that is available to all people right now, that God loves them just where they are, regardless of who they are. That is an extremist activity. But the trials and tribulations faced by the church also require us to proclaim the word of God unapologetically. And Christian nationalism is the exact opposite of the good news announced in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, taught by Christ, and proclaimed by the church for centuries. Violence, exclusion, and hatred, instead of mercy, compassion, and grace. The church, us, we have a word to speak in the face of rising Christian nationalism, And all of the bigotry that comes with it. And the one through whom all of creation has been saved has a word for us. Paul wrote to the church in Rome. A church facing its own persecutions. That faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through the word of Jesus Christ. And that word tells us that evil does not get the last word. The light of Jesus Christ shines brighter than any of the shiny distractions of Herod's temple 2,000 years ago or today, because all of creation is God's dwelling place. So live with the knowledge that we have a word to speak. Sometimes that word will require us to actually speak. That word may require us to put our feet into action. That word might make Thanksgiving, a bit more uncomfortable for some of us. And that word is that death, destruction, and evil will not last. Christ has promised to set the world right. Christ promises that that work has begun through us, the church, no matter how flawed or lost we become. Jesus is Lord, and we are not. He has come, and he will come again. Amen.